Welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Record. We're going to call this Two for Tuesday because we've got uh, two interviews this week. I uh, have my colleague, our senior case goods and global sourcing editor, Tom Russell, joining us. Tom is just back from a trip to Vietnam. Those of you who follow us on Instagram and on Facebook uh, probably got to see some of that. If not, I would encourage you to go take a look at our Instagram and Facebook feeds, um, and you can kind of tag along with Tom, who now is back. Uh, And then in our second half, I will share with you an interview that I did on my own trip out to California, uh, where we sat down with Costa's Janice Ye. So uh, let's start right away, Tom. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, So how was your trip to Vietnam? How many different uh, plants did you go to? You were doing a lot of plant tours over there, right? We did. We certainly did, Bill. And it was about... um we were only there for a pretty short period of about four and a half days, and we got in about 13 plant tours, including six on the first day. <laughs> That's a very <laughs> ambitious schedule, especially coming right off uh, that flight. You must yes. have been a little bit tired. A little bit, but you know, you get you get acclimated a little quicker than you think, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. So tell me about some of the plants that you saw. I, I mean, I don't know what people's perceptions are of... Um, factories in Vietnam, um, but how would you compare the factories, the plants that you saw there to other plants that you visited both in the U.S. and in China? Well, I think a lot of these plants that we visited, um, we made a point of kind of seeing some of the key players um, that are doing a lot of business with the U.S. market and um, players such as Kaiser Furniture, Manwa, which is under both of them are undergoing pretty big expansions. Um, Manwa related to motion furniture and Kaiser um, doing upholstery. Um, but these these companies that we saw really have a pretty good stake in in the U.S. market. They've been shipping the U.S. market for years. Um, the facilities are very big. We went to Shinmark for the very first time um, that I've been there in, in all my years with Furniture Today. They opened their doors to us very graciously, and they're doing an ex- upholstery plant as well. Um, but the, the plants there, they're huge, um, and, and I think on par with some of the biggest plants in China. Um, one interesting thing to note is that a lot of these facilities that we visited are Taiwanese-owned. So the model that they have created in Vietnam is basically a pretty similar footprint uh, as China, maybe not quite as grand in scope, but getting pretty close. Um, And I mean, you look at Manwa's expansion of about two and a half million square feet, it's it's huge. Um, You also went to see, speaking of plants that are owned by uh, companies outside of Vietnam, you went to see Ashley's facility. I understand they have what's called a kind of a super plant there. Yes. Yeah, their facilities are huge as well. Um, the first plant that we went to is where they're doing some of their mattress production as well as their cut and sew um, to feed into their upholstery operations. Again, upholstery being a major 
area of emphasis due largely to the tariff situation. I think some of this was obviously underway before the tariffs went into effect, but it's very timely in the sense that Ashley, for one, is, is being very proactive um, and making sure, and, they, and they've done this over the, over the past uh, recent years to make sure they're well positioned with their Vietnam plant. So in addition to the cut and sew and bedding facility, we saw one of their warehouses over there, um, a significant um, kind of mixing warehouse, and also their upholstery plant. Um, what we did not get to with Ashley was their Millennium plant, um, which is up in the Dong Nai province, probably about a good 45-minute flight from where we were. We just kind of didn't have time to do that, unfortunately. Um, but they were very gracious in opening their doors to us and just kind of letting us see what's going on. Now, there's been some case goods production in Vietnam for a while, ever since the anti-dumping yes. um, issues with China years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but there's still people adding to their case goods capacity there, aren't they? They are indeed. And that's a great point, Bill, because um, when I was over there, we went to dinner with some folks that were saying, well, you know, you're... I was sharing with them some of the plants that we visited, which had, um, I'd say about two thirds of it was a pretty heavy wood emphasis. And their point was, well, you know, the wood industry has been here. Um, so, you know, there's, there's not really much of a story here, but I would argue, counter argue that, yes, there is because first off, there's a, there's a few things going on. Um, the, about uh, one of the biggest furniture categories coming out of China in 2018, up until the end of the year, based on our research, was miscellaneous wood furniture, which could include anything like um, consoles or accent furniture pieces, occasional pieces, pretty broad categories. You're looking at about 2.7 billion in shipments in those categories alone. Now, those are each followed by upholstery in the top five, but the number four category was wood dining furniture, uh, kitchen dining furniture, which some of which is um, wood, but also um, wood and metal um, and, and metal and glass dining, things of that nature. So some, some pretty significant, and I think that's about 1.4 billion. So there's still a lot to move or shift from China in order to avoid um, the tariffs by going to Vietnam. I, yeah, I'm not sure that anybody expects Vietnam to replace all of China's capacity. I think it's just a matter, mm -hmm. of, it seems, of, of mitigating the, the worst effects of the tariff. I mean, mm -hmm. China is, what, somewhere around 13-plus billion dollars in yes. exports to the U.S., and Vietnam is... Um, Probably less than half that. Yeah. Um, um, and there's all, it's interesting, there's uh, some recent statistics. We were talking with the research department the other day, and um, China's exports to the U.S., I think, are down about 28% this year, mm -hmm. um, and Vietnam's are about up 11%. So mm -hmm. it, it was interesting. That suggests that even as much as China's down, some of that volume is being spread to other countries. So I thought that was kind of an interesting statistic. Yes, indeed. Um, so technologically, uh, I understand you got to see some pretty high-tech stuff there. Can you share with our audience what uh, some of the things you saw? Yeah, I think some of the – one of the really interesting things is that um, a division of Manwa is producing um, the uh, the motors for the recliner units and, and also some of the mechanisms. 
And, you know, for somebody who was covered largely the wood side of the business, this was a fascinating um, glimpse into that segment of the industry. Um, and the, the use of technology, um, the machinery that Manwa is using to produce these mechanisms and, and motors is absolutely stunning. Um, and its complexity and just innovation and technology. Um, and these are, you know, the motor is just a very small size component of the actual unit. So you, but, but they've invested millions to kind of bring this technology to Vietnam. And the other, one of the other interesting things that we saw for the first time anywhere was robotic finishing at Shinmark. Um, the, the owner, Victor, and founder was very proud to show us, to give us a first-hand glimpse of this robotic spraying arm. So the, um, the unit um, operates with a camera that takes a picture of the case piece going down the finishing line. So when it takes a picture of the unit, maybe it's a nightstand, it knows, the arm knows how to just to spray within a limited area um, and if it's like a dresser for example it's about three times wider um, or two and a half times wider than a nightstand depending on how large the piece is the the camera shoots that and and the technology um, is just amazing in that it is tailor made for spraying that piece so that was pretty cool there's some interesting implications there i would think that um, that would allow you to change what you're producing much more quickly um, rather than having to train an employee or, yes. or a, you know, a, a worker to finish a piece and change the finish from piece to piece um, and, in, and engage that training process. I mean, I would guess it's simply a matter of reprogramming the computer yes. to change the finish. Yeah, I think it's all built into the system from a layman's perspective. Um, we had them explain it a little bit. And, and I believe um, there's... It, I get the impression that it has a little bit of quicker turnover in terms of changing the finish. And of course, it does, um, it eliminates the need for training of employees, although the employees are certainly well trained there. But the issue that Vietnam is going to face is, and I think this is one thing that, that folks on the wood side would agree, that they are going to face competition for workers. So when... Um, a worker decides to leave factory A to go to factory B in industry C or D, um, it's going to take a little while to get the next person that fills in to train if they're not already been in the industry. With a robot, you don't have to train a robot, nor do you have to worry about it walking out the door. <laughs> so that, that raises an interesting question. We, we tend to think of the world in terms of the furniture industry and the, the furniture companies that, that are going to Vietnam, but there mm -hmm. are a lot of other industries that are opening up plants. Did you drive by in your travels? Did you see uh, a lot of manufacturing being built there? Yes, there was, in fact, um, which is kind of an interesting point given how high the land prices are. People are trying to, uh, to get in as quick as they can because I think the land prices are, are so high now, but there's a fear they're going to go even higher. Nike, for example, is building a humongous plant right next door to Shinmark, and they pointed out right where it was. Um, you could practically walk to it. 
Um, and there's furniture factories that were right across the street that also could be impacted by such a location of Nike is, and the thing with the, the shoe industry or apparel, it's typically seen as a, a little bit cleaner, brighter, even though most of the plants we went to were very clean and well lit, they're extremely hot uh, inside. And I think companies, and that, that was interesting too, companies were making a point to us during our visit that, look, we have all this ventilation, we have fans going, we try to institute cooling where we can, where it makes sense because they know that that's one of the issues, the comfort of your working conditions is something that everybody wants, really. And, and that will be one of the things I think that perhaps like a Nike may be able to offer, um, although we don't know the specifics, we hear anecdotally that, that those type of industries are a little bit more comfortable to work in than a furniture plant. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I think there's other industries that are coming into electronics. Samsung was another company we heard about that's been moving in um, or positioning itself well in Vietnam. So uh, it's happening all around. One of the things that we've heard people talk about, at least anecdotally in Vietnam, is even as the factories expand and, and capacity increases, that there's still the infrastructure challenge. Um, you had to drive around there. How was traffic? Traffic was astoundingly um, just, it, it was profound <laughs> in, in how much traffic. This was my fourth trip to Vietnam. And to be honest with you, it seems like the number of scooters um, hasn't really changed much. I mean, there's, there's more cars on the road indeed. But we were, we were trying to think with all these scooters, and, and it's put largely at like the morning hour and right around, if you don't get out of the factory by, by 4 p.m., which is when everybody tries to leave, then you're really going to get caught in, in a snarl, a web of traffic. And it's wall to wall. Um, and it's stop and go. The scooters are all over the place. Um, and the question was, pointed out, imagine if all these people started driving cars, what this place would be like. And the roads, quite honestly, are not equipped to handle any more traffic than they can without having traffic jams that are dozens of miles long. Um, I'm curious to see if um, if the factory's there, and I don't know if you asked this question or not, but I'd be, I'd be interested to find out going forward what impact that might have on how people ship from their factories. In other words, off-hour shipping, right? Yeah, do, yeah. You, do you build during the day and sh ship at night? Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll be curious to see how that evolves going forward. Yeah, I think that will be an interesting question because um, I think there are certainly peak uh, times or, or times that you want to be able to um, ship to avoid, in other words, to get your, your, con your containers to the port in a timely fashion. And from what we hear, the port facilities are sort of getting um, piled up, too. Well, I mean, when you try to grow things very rapidly, there's always a little bit of a lag. But uh, True, true. So people can expect to see uh, we're going to have some coverage of this coming into High Point Market. I understand yes. that there is a movie in, uh, in creation starring <laughs> yes. Tom Russell as our leading man. Um, and yeah. then also you'll be putting together some stories on your activities as well, right? Yes. 
So we'll probably see that, what, the end of September? I mean, we're almost to September now, right? Uh, so it's the are. end of the month uh, for High Point Market. Yes, yeah, we'll be publishing probably the last um, part of September. And um, I think the video segment will be obviously part of that package. Uh, but we have a lot of excitement there. Minda um, Bullock, our videographer, was, was doing a great job on the ground capturing almost everything we did, including me at the buffet, which was... <laughs> I, I did see that footage. I notice you're not a caper fan. <laughs> yes, well, you know, you pick and choose. <laughs> That's it. You know, and I also know what it's like to be followed by a videographer. I, yes. Uh, I went out the week before you went to Vietnam. I was in California. Uh, I also had a videographer following me, and there will be a movie of that um, for those who want to see that. And... Uh, as a matter of fact, that will lead us right into our next segment. As part of that, I did uh, an interview with Costa's Janice Ye, mm -hmm. uh, who is getting uh, very involved in that company. Her, her father is the founder of Coaster, and uh, she and her brother are taking on much bigger roles there. And she shared some insights uh, of what that was like. So mm -hmm. uh, without any further ado, let us take you to our interview with Costa's Janice Ye. So I'm here with Janice Ye mm -hmm. from Coaster. And... Uh, we're here in the On The Record podcast. Janice, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for walking us through your facility. Yeah, no, it was really fun. Thank you for coming. I know you guys had like a long trip, so it was not like easy for you guys, but thank you for coming. Thank you. So you grew up in the furniture business. Your dad started the company. Mm -hmm. When was the first time that you realized you were in the furniture business? Or you realized what your father did? You know, when we were little, we like played, you remember those gliders that mm -hmm. were like um, wooden and they had like the blue, print or the green print um, like we used to play with those all the time like me and my brother as kids because we used to come with my dad and my mom to work and that was really fun for us I don't think we ever realized it was furniture per se but it was just really fun like we played on bunk beds yeah I don't know that it was I guess we always knew mm -hmm. but um, and yeah. when was the first time that you actually had a role doing something in the company uh, when I graduated college in 2009, I started as a CSR here, actually. That was my first thing that, my first role that I took was CSR. Yeah. What did you learn? Um, our ERP system is a little bit complicated, but obviously it's, it, now that I've seen it more and more, it's very, um, there's a lot of information on there. But when I was like looking at it, I'm like, oh my God, I don't I cannot do this. I don't know how they do it so fast. Order entry, like I never learned 10 key for um, num numerical when I was in school. We learned the home key for the normal typing, mm -hmm. but not the 10 key for the n numbers. <laughs> that was really hard, mm -hmm. but now I'm really good at it. And, but now that's not what you do. Tell no. me about what your role is now. Uh, Director of Business Operations. What so, does that mean? Uh, I take care of all operations. Basically, um, anything that falls under non-finance, I basically take care of. And I um, work with the managers or the directors or VPs that handle those departments that fall under the category. Is that what you went to school for? No. I went to school for e economics and finance. Yes, but it was in San UC San Diego. It was more of like a fun school, so. <laughs> a lot of people end up doing things that have nothing to do with their degree. I mean, my degree is in American history. It has absolutely, really? yes. Oh, um, my I intent hated was, American history. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. I got like a 400 on the, um, on the test for SATs. Mm -hmm. I think it's out of like 800 or something like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's all right. History does not play much into uh, what you do now. But I think um, a lot of what you did was reading, and you learn about things, which I think helps. So um, was it a conscious choice when you graduated school? Did you know that you would always be going into the furniture business, or was that something that happened organically? Um, I didn't. I think I always wanted to just help out, so I had a feeling I would always do that. Um, I didn't want to waste my time doing other things where uh, I would be not helping others, but like necessarily in, in an industry where I know I'm going to end up coming back to here. So that's why I basically decided I'm going to start here and just keep working at it here. Is your brother also in the business? Mm -hmm. And what does he do? Old, he, uh, just older or younger for people who. Um, both actually are in the business. My older brother is in the supply and de demand department, and then my younger brother is in the um, product management. So he develops and sources product. So it really is a family business mm -hmm. in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Did your father talk to you about the business as you got older and give you advice or as you started to become involved? Is he he's definitely full of advice because he's done it for so much longer. He um, has a different view on things than, let's say, like I would have. Um, so he helps walk me through a lot of things. Um, when I started, though, it wasn't like obviously, like we're uh, we started in d on different pages because, like, I'm a lot younger, I guess. So, like, we uh, didn't see things similarly, but I think over time, like, you just get older. I'm shocked <laughs> that a parent and child would see things from different perspectives. I think that's a revelation. <laughs> I, uh, but he helps a lot. Like obviously, like, like he's taught me a lot of things, like how to read people, like things like that. Um, he's really good at, like, basically uh, how to work with factories, like talk to them in certain ways. Like because what he's built, I guess, the business on is relationships with factories. And that has really been what um, he's focused on. So what I try to do is keep that part aspect of it and also try to expand on what he probably didn't focus as much on, but that's not what he needed to focus on at that time. Before it was all about sourcing and he's really good at that. Well, when he started, right, it was a very tiny company. Uh -huh. and now it's um, one of the largest in the industry. Yeah, it, it was really, yeah, the, the, the knowledge that he has is, uh, I mean, he started selling oranges, like that, I did mention that he started selling oranges when he was in Taiwan. He knows, that's just his uh, nature, is like entrepreneurship, like I think business is in our blood probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also grew up in two cultures, mm -hmm. right? Your, your father is originally from China? Taiwan. Taiwan, and mm -hmm. your mother also? My mom is from China, yeah, but she grew up in Taiwan. So uh, my mom lived in Taiwan because there was the um, communist war in China, and um, a lot of people escaped to Taiwan to be uh, to to not be part of that. I think my grandma was not like my grandpa was an ambassador, so he actually traveled quite a bit. My mom grew up in like. Uh, Tonga <laughs> for a lot of her life. So she grew up in Tonga, the Philippines, and eventually in Taiwan. So um, they escaped a lot of what was going on in China. So they, your mother has quite a, a, tr a lot of travel experience. Did you mm -hmm. also travel a lot when you were growing up? We did. Uh, 
I just didn't realize we did. <laughs> we did. Every year, my mom made it a point to actually hang out with us as like a family, made it a family trip every single year. So now, actually, we do that with our kids. Um, every year, we have to make sure we go do something. We went to uh, a lot of the places we went to were in China because we went to go see my grandma. Uh, we went to Taiwan a lot, too, uh, because my dad had family over there. So. Yeah, it was a lot of traveling, and it makes you appreciate a lot of what we have here. So it's it was really beneficial because then it makes you very adaptable. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a favorite place to visit in China? Um, so we took this trip before I got married to um, the Great Wall of China. I really love the Great Wall of China because it's, um, I mean, that's nowhere near where my family is from. But it's a really crazy thing to see. Like, if you ever have been to the Great Wall of China, it's uh, huge. It's like, I think it's one of the seven wonders of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's like um, really pretty. When you go on a non-polluted day, it's gorgeous. And um, I've been there with my family, I've been there with my husband. I will take my kids there. It's one of those places we always go back to. I don't know why. It, it has it has absolutely no meaning to me in life, but it's a really cool place to go. It's an impressive architectural feat. I mean, mm -hmm. as I understand, it can be seen from space. So, oh, it I, is really crazy. Like if you walk it, it's like, um, it's just like they. I think they built it specifically to keep certain areas cool too. Like, and I don't know how they could have figured that out back then, but certain areas do keep cooler. It's just really cool. Like, we really like it, yeah. So as you've started to become more involved in the business, um, in your new role, you have people who report to you and you have supervisory responsibilities. How has that been um, learning your management style and, and developing a management style? Everybody's, uh, what I learned is everybody is different. They take um, criticism differently. Um, and then obviously like I'm coming into something where we have employees that have worked for a long time so they know way more than I do. So finding the balance of what they already know and what their current process is and what the direction is and like um, having them understand like why we're doing that is a lot of what I basically do is like I try to move everyone in that similar direction so we all have the same ultimate goal. Um, and it's it's crazy because I learn a lot from them too because they've been here for a long time. There's also some people who have just been hired on and like, you know, they have other experience as well. So it's just, it's a really, it's a really good position to be in because you get to learn from everybody and then basically listen to them and try to funnel it and direct it into one, one general direction, I guess. And now you have two children yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you balance being a mom and being director of business operations for one of the largest furniture companies? I think all women have a very difficult role because they have um, balancing the, not that husbands don't feel this too, I'm sure they do, but moms have like mom guilt, I guess in a way. So like you have to be able to have that work-life balance or you cannot be successful in work. You have to balance your life and your work in order to be happy. Like you, otherwise it just, you cannot function. 
Um, do your children come with you to work? No. Sometimes they do, and it's really fun for them. But um, mainly, like, we have, uh, I, I send them to daycare. They really love their daycare. Do they, do they know that you're in the furniture business yet? Yes. They love playing with furniture. They love furniture. They love jumping on sofas. They love coming here in the showroom. This is like one of the fav their favorite places. That's why when I told them they're going to come today, they're like, oh my god, I really want to go. They're like, I want to jump on all the beds and stuff. But um, yeah, this is, they do enjoy it. So all. it sounds like their introduction to the business is very much like your introduction to the business. Yeah, they really like it. I don't know. Like, and like, I feel like that's why I feel like it's in the blood. Both my kids love furniture. Yeah. Do you, would you like for them to one day be involved in the business? Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> Is, uh, I've asked this question of a number of people at family businesses because it's interesting to see how people involve family and business and what that transition process is like. In some cases, it's very organic. Um, in other cases, it's very structured and there's a plan. Um, oh, no, there's no plan for them. If they want to do anything else, they should because like one of the things that we stress is like you spend all your time with these people at work like pretty much you spend more time with them than you do with like your spouse or your kids um, you really have to enjoy what you do so for them it's whatever they enjoy they like whatever they enjoy that's what I want them to do yeah otherwise life would suck like <laughs> it really would because you have to go every day like so there's some people who really hate their jobs and that's just unfortunate like you have to really enjoy it otherwise you cannot continue. <laughs> Sounds like you enjoy what you do. Yeah, I enjoy what I do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do it every day. <laughs> so you're on the operational side of the business. Is that the, the place where you really enjoy most? Mm -hmm. or more so than, say, style or product development or marketing? No, I do really love product. That's where I started. Like, so for the last maybe nine, ten years, that's what I did. And then um, that's what I've done the whole time up until taking care of the different departments but um, and if I could balance that with what I do now I would totally do it but it's not realistic you have to be able to like prioritize so generally there's we have Crystal who you've met who's super knowledgeable about all of this and she has a team of people who are also as knowledgeable and so having them take care of the product even though it's something I love to do is more realistic and then the other things that require um, require what I am able to do is well what I'll focus on. If, if there was one thing that you feel like you've gotten from your parents and from either your mom or your dad mm -hmm. that you think has really helped in a very positive way shape your outlook and the way you approach business, what would that be? Um, like everybody has strengths and weaknesses, you just play on their strengths. So basically like nobody is perfect. You, you just have to work off of what they are good at because everybody is great at something. You just have to find it and kind of like um, capitalize on it. I'd like to thank our guests this week, Tom Russell, just back from Vietnam, and Janice Ye, who took the time to sit down and chat with us about uh, her history in the furniture business. And uh, we hope that she will continue to turn into On the Record podcast. You can hear it on all of your favorite uh, podcast platforms iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and on and on. Until uh, next week, I'm Bill McLaughlin with Furniture Today and On the Record.